0: Hi, welcome back to That Doesn't Happen Every Day, in which we interview everyday people about things that don't normally happen every day. In our last episode, we interviewed my friend CJ, who had an encounter with something paranormal. In this episode, we're interviewing members of my family who had an encounter with a man who would one day become very, very famous. My older sister Gwen starts the story talking about living in Alaska in the early 1980s when she was a teenager.
1: My friend had a a sled dog, a husky. She had a dog sled, like a little dog sled. We used to hook him up, and he would run, run, run. like We'd go all over the subdivision, all over the road. So it was a really fun place.
0: My dad's memories at the last frontier weren't always as endearing as my sister's. The winters were horrible. Fairbanks, Alaska
2: is extremely cold. In the winter time. it would never, never get above zero.
0: This is one of my mom's memories.
3: I had a clothesline in the backyard, and when I would hang my clothes out there, once a moose came and knocked them all on the ground.
0: (laughs) Now that you've met the cast of the story and heard a little bit about what it was like living up there, I need to tell you that I don't remember that much about what it was like. I was four years old when we left Alaska, so lots of what happened there is pieced together by what my parents and older siblings have told me. However, the one thing I remember real well was the house we lived in. It was huge, and it was way out in the woods by a lonely airstrip. And... We rented it from a friendly but slightly eccentric man who I don't remember but who my parents still tell stories about because over time after we left Alaska, that man became an American icon. To start the story right, we're going to backtrack a little to the late 70s early 80s over 2,000 miles south of Fairbanks in Washington State. Here's my dad, Owen. I
2: was stationed at Fairchild Air Force
0: Base located near Spokane, Washington.
2: Uh, This individual by the name of Bob Ross brought a document over to me and we started talking. He eventually told me about he was interested in uh, painting and uh, was uh, taking lessons over in
0: Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. That Bob Ross my dad's talking about is that Bob Ross. As in, there are no mistakes, just happy accidents. He was the man who whispered while he painted on PBS with a big old afro. At the time, though, my dad wasn't starstruck, because at the time, in the late 70s, Bob Ross wasn't famous yet. He didn't even have the Afro yet. He was a non-commissioned officer in the Air Force running medical records to get signed by my dad, who was a JAG, or military lawyer. Eventually, my dad got orders to Isleson Air Force Base near Fairbanks and ran into Bob Ross again, who had also gotten orders for Alaska. With Bob was his wife, Jane. Jane, she turned out to be my secretary uh, there at uh, the Air Force Base.
2: One day, uh, we got talking and she said that uh, they wanted to rent their house. So we went out and alongside the house was the place where they parked airplanes. And It was a, a Cessna, I think, Cessna 172 is what it was.
0: But they could roll the airplanes out and then go over on the runway just a short distance and fly out. Along with moose and sub-zero temperatures, apparently having a plane parked by your house wasn't that uncommon in this rural part of Alaska. In fact, I think it's pretty common throughout Alaska. I do remember that airplane. It wasn't Bob's, but belonged to someone else who asked if they could park it there. After we moved in, the pilot of the plane would sometimes take my older brother Mark for rides up in it. I also remember a time when one of the kids across the road came onto the property and started to jump and bang on parts of the plane. And I'm glad my older brother was the one who got the privilege of riding in that kid-tested plane and not me. My mom, Mary Jean, Talks about checking out the potential rental home.
3: It seemed like a match into us. No, it it was. I uh, had three floors actually,
1: and it was very uh, well kept. Had a nice yard.
0: Gwen chimes in here as well. It
1: was like a kind of like a tri-level split. So you went halfway up, and there was a kitchen and a dining room, and then had a step down into like a sunken living room.
0: I also remember the sunken living room. I had this big plastic horse named Bucky, and I would run super fast while riding him and try to launch over the step down into the sunken living room in Bob Ross's house.
1: It also in the master bedroom had a closet and the closet had like a like a secret passage like you wouldn't know it was there. It had this little around corner. I feel like they put that there like to store guns or valuables or something. It was kind of like a secret passageway in the master closet.
0: I really really wish I could remember the secret passage but as a kid like a lot of them I was scared of the dark, so maybe I never went back there. My mom did confirm that it was there, though.
3: There's like like a, a gun safe kind of place in off the closet.
0: What happens when you move into the home of an artist known for his love of nature and animals? Well, in the case of Bob Ross, he had left some surprises behind.
1: When they left, they had birds, like cockatoos or something, in their bedroom, in big cage like hanging from the ceiling. And they were going to come get them. I guess they just hadn't gotten them yet. I don't know why they were still in the house for a while. But so my brother or me, I can't remember which one of us decided to let the birds out of their cage to fly around. And my mom is really scared of birds. And so when we let the birds out, they uh, were flying all around. And she grabbed Dean, my little brother, and, and locked herself in another room until we got the birds back in the cage.
0: Another odd legacy lift by Bob Ross was out on the deck behind the house
1: there were squirrels on the deck and they were semi-tame and so you could go out on the deck and they'd walk along the railing of the deck and you could feed them and they'd get really close to you and Bob Ross used to talk about squirrels and it made me think that you know like he had a relationship with these squirrels because we still were feeding them when we lived there and I think he even mentioned that or she mentioned that that they had these squirrels that were that they used to feed out on the deck.
0: As a side note I got a saw for my birthday when I was like three because apparently in the 80s you gave small children saws. And apparently, though I don't remember doing it, I tried to saw off the supports of that two-story deck with my brand new saw. I don't remember doing it, but I do remember eventually that saw disappeared. My mom claims not to have any memories of my disappearing birthday saw, but she does have some memories of her own about Bob Ross's squirrel friends.
3: And they would also come down the chimney sometimes and we'd have to open the basement windows and chase the squirrels out.
0: When the birds and squirrels were too busy to terrorize my mother inside the house after we moved in, the moose that lived outside the house did its best to pick up the slack and continue to give her authentic Alaskan experiences.
3: I remember one time we we drove into the entrance and there was a moose standing right in front of the garage, and we waited and waited for that moose to go away so we could go in the house. Yeah, we honked and yelled, and it just ignored us.
0: The most important part of Bob Ross's eclectic presence left in the house was in the basement.
1: So in the basement is where he had like a studio, and a lot of his art supplies were still down there. There were like all these canvases and like stacks of paintings that were just sitting in in one of the rooms in the basement.
2: There were 40 Bob Ross paintings there at the house. Jane asked me if I wouldn't mind showing them at uh, some of the craft shows that were held there in the area. I asked her uh, how much I should charge for them and so forth and so on, so I did.
1: We didn't sell very many. I don't think he was selling them for like maybe $200 or something. I think the only thing that people bought his paintings for at the time, it was like a souvenir of their time in Alaska. People didn't buy the paintings because it was a Bob Ross. Like of course nobody knew who he was. They bought the paintings it was just because they were pretty pictures. No one would have could have ever thought that he would have become as famous as he is now. You know, it, there was no reason to think that those would ever be worth very much money.
3: We had also shipped uh, in big donut boxes some of the paintings to them when they had moved, and so
1: we had shipped a lot of them out. I had a, uh, some of his paintings in my room.
0: Over time, my dad got orders to California. We left Bob Ross's house and our families lost contact. Until one day, my dad turned on the TV. When he appeared on the television and I saw that uh, (laughs) hairdo type situation, I
2: thought, Bob, you sure changed your hairstyle.
1: That's Bob Ross. It looks just like him. I could say to people, do you ever watch that guy on PBS with the big hair? That's Bob Ross, and I, you know, lived in his house. So, like, I would make that connection. And most people kind of knew what I was talking about, Um, but not everybody. But now, of course, now, like, you know, you can get a calendar of his from Walmart. He's like an American icon. He has a painting in the Smithsonian. So now if I'm to say that, everybody knows who I'm talking about. The kids in my school when they do Wax museum. Um, they, there's almost one every year that dresses up like Bob Ross. So, like, he's really famous now. But at the time, there was no reason to think that, he, you know, he would ever be famous.
3: Oh, he was very friendly and smiled and laughed and um, was interested in things that we were doing. And he was just a nice guy.
2: The Rosses, they were good people. They were friendly people and uh, were very helpful and uh, We appreciated uh, for the association we had with them.
0: When I think of someone living in the house of a famous person, I imagine people with lots of money who buy castles that kings had, or expensive mansions in L.A. where movie stars once lived. I don't picture down-to-earth everyday people like my parents who grew up on ranches in southwest Wyoming living in the home of super famous people, let alone myself and my brother and my sister. The thing that I love the most about this story is that when I think of famous people, it's weird to imagine them having to rent their house to someone, or ask for help from their tenants to sell their work for low prices at tiny craft fairs in Alaska. This gives me a little bit of hope when I think about how I've set at book signings almost no one has come to with copies of my novel, or the countless people I've harassed to listen to my podcasts who frankly don't want to be bothered. I hope that the man with the afro, whose deck I tried to destroy as a child, and whose living room I used to fly into with reckless abandon, is smiling down on me and all of us who are still trying to follow our passions and do what makes us happy. I'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day. If you would like to see some pictures of us living in the house we rented from Bob Ross, I will provide a link. Please join us next week where we hear from CJ Young again about working in a haunted prison. And if you have a story that doesn't happen every day, please contact me. Thanks. Have a good week.